Oh, Lord Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, teach us what it means to enter into the fray with you for your sake. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are concluding our sermon series entitled Jesus Up Close, where we've been looking at different incidents of people having an up-close experience with Jesus. Today, as you know, is Palm Sunday. It's also known as the Sunday of the Passion, in which we anticipate the suffering and death of Jesus. Today's theme is Into the Fray with Jesus. Today's story really begins in the little village of Bethany, located just shy of two miles east of Jerusalem. This was the hometown of Jesus' good friends, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, whom we heard about last week. Bethany is the place where Jesus had raised Lazarus back to life after he had died. And Bethany is the place where the townspeople threw a dinner, a dinner party in honor of Jesus. It evidently took place at the home of a man named Simon who, was, who had been a leper who apparently Jesus had healed. At this dinner party, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, takes some very expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair to honor him. Judas Iscariot criticizes her for wasting this expensive perfume like this. But Jesus affirms her act as preparation for his burial. Out of that context, it's the next day, and Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He comes in from Bethany, He goes down the Mount of Olives near the Garden of Gethsemane to which he would return fairly soon, crosses the Kidron Valley and enters into the city of Jerusalem to the west. And it was no doubt a busy, bustling, noisy experience as the crowds hail him as the coming king. As we take our observations of that first Palm Sunday experience, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, who was in the crowd that day? We sometimes assume, sometimes assume that it was just one group of people. Certainly, Jesus' own disciples were in that crowd. They went with him into the fray that day. But as they enter the city, we see that there was actually quite an array of people on hand in Jerusalem. For example, some of the people in the crowd that day were the religious pilgrims who had come down from the northern region of Galilee. If we take a look at a map of Palestine in the time of Jesus, Galilee is that northern region in the pink section there where Jesus had spent quite a bit of his ministry preaching and healing and leading people to know something about the kingdom of God. No doubt it was some of these Galilean pilgrims who had seen Jesus do his various miracles up there in Galilee, 
who were now singing his praises. Perhaps some of the, in the crowd were present at Jesus' first public miracle when he turned water into the best wine possible in the little village of Cana up in Galilee. Perhaps that widow from Nain was present in the crowd that day, the one whose young boy had died, whom Jesus brought back to life up in that little village in Galilee of Nain. Perhaps it was some of the 5,000 men plus women and children who had been fed by the Sea of Galilee that day when Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed them all. Many, of course, had heard him teach about the kingdom of God. Perhaps some of those in the crowd that day had heard his famous Sermon on the Mount from up in Galilee. Now they hail him as the Messiah. And waving palm branches as Jesus rode by, they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means Save us now. Save us now. It's a cry of praise to God, but it's also a cry of hope. Save us now. Now, perhaps there were some of the people in that crowd that day who caught the significance of the word Hosanna, who understood that and believed that Jesus indeed came to be the Savior of the world, the Savior from sin. But my hunch is that most of the people in the crowd really didn't catch the full meaning of that word as they shouted Hosanna because the kind of Messiah that most of the people were looking for was a political Savior who would throw the Roman overlords out of their land, who would come in as a warrior king and establish Israel as a powerful nation once again getting rid of the foreigners who were in control. Whether or not most of the people fully caught the meaning of the word Hosanna, nevertheless, their cries of Hosanna ring more true than most realize. And Jesus accepted their praises as the one who would indeed save us now. By riding into Jerusalem on a donkey... Jesus was fulfilling the words of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah who wrote these words, Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those Old Testament words Jesus would fulfill. He would fulfill them to a greater extent than probably most of the crowd realized on that first Palm Sunday. He will proclaim peace to the nations, Zechariah said. But the peace that Jesus would bring would not be summarized merely by the removal of the Romans from the land. No, the peace that Jesus would bring 
would be an everlasting peace. The kind of peace that is established between a holy God and sinful people. Peace that comes about only through the forgiveness of sins. Only through the death of the perfect Lamb of God. Who else was in the crowd that day? As we look more closely at John's rendition of the story, we see that some of those in the crowd had been eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. John tells us that on account of Lazarus, many of the Jewish citizens were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him, trusting in him. The resurrection of Lazarus had a powerful effect, both good and, in a sense, not so good. What I mean by the latter comment is this, that the resurrection of of Lazarus and people coming to faith in Jesus on account of that incident, that didn't set well with the religious leaders of the day in Jerusalem. And that brings us to another group that is in the crowd that first Palm Sunday. See, others that were in the crowd that day were enemies of Jesus. Enemies of Jesus. We know that the chief priests and the Pharisees had already been plotting to kill Jesus once they found him. In fact, when they heard about Lazarus being raised back to life, John tells us that they even made plans to kill Lazarus, to get him out of the picture because he was a living testimony to what Jesus had done. You got to feel for Lazarus, you know? I mean, here the guy had died. Jesus brought him back to life, and now they're threatening to kill him again. Rough day for Lazarus. But these enemies were very real. And we need to keep these enemies in mind as we go into Holy Week. For these are the ones who would later be the one shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't the Galilean pilgrims who were later shouting, crucify him. No, the ones from Galilee would be the ones lining the walkway as Jesus carries his cross to Calvary, and they're on the sidelines weeping and wondering why this would happen. As Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, on that first Palm Sunday, there's another group of people who were quite interested in Jesus. They were some Gentile, that is, non-Jewish people who were worshipers of the God of Israel. John refers to them as God-fearers. They wanted to know the true God. They were not Jewish. And John tells us that some of these Gentiles were Greek and that some of these Greeks came up to Philip and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Just consider that, that in this crowd, in Jerusalem, in Israel, some Greek Gentiles are present who want to see Jesus. It's an indication, friends, that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem that day not just for one group of people, but for everyone. That Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to eventually go to a cross for all people, for you and me and all nations. 
that all who put their trust in him may have eternal life. As Jesus goes on and addresses the crowd, the voice of God the Father is heard and affirms him that he is indeed being glorified by God the Father and that he would be glorified again, referring to his death. Jesus then tells the crowd his real reason for riding into Jerusalem. I read once again from our text at verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world, Jesus says. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He would be lifted up on a cross for the sins of the people. Jesus was about to enter into the fray, a fray that would take him all the way to the cross, all the way to the place where he would fulfill his calling as the true Messiah, to offer his very life as substitute for yours and mine and that of all people. He, the holy innocent one, gave his life for us guilty ones, that all who trust in him may be forgiven and have eternal life. And Jesus was inviting his disciples to enter into the fray with him that first Palm Sunday. And so, friends, he invites you and me as well to enter into the fray with Jesus this Holy Week. In our text, Jesus said to the crowds, whoever serves me must follow me. Whoever serves me must follow me. And earlier in his ministry, he had said, whoever would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Today begins Holy Week. Today, friends, is our invitation to enter into the fray with Jesus, to walk alongside with him as he approaches the cross, It's an invitation to be much more than mere spectators of what's taking place. It's a call for each of us personally to take up our cross and follow Him. That is to fully associate ourselves with Him who would go to the cross for us. To fully identify ourselves with His death, for there is where we find our hope. It's an invitation, friends, to comprehend more deeply the truth that our sins nailed him to the cross and that it was for our sins that he died, that we might be forgiven, that by his suffering and death we might have full release of sin and shame and guilt. This week, this day, at the beginning of Holy Week as an invitation to partake of His Holy Supper on Thursday evening. It's an invitation to gather around the table once again as we did today to receive the body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of our sins that it might empower us to carry our cross more boldly 
out into the world. It's an invitation to go with Jesus to Gethsemane, to go with him into the garden of prayer, and to enter into his agony and his pain, to recognize he does it all for us. And then it's an invitation on Friday to ponder again exactly who Jesus is and how magnificently he loves us. Friends, as we prepare to enter into the fray with Jesus, our closing prayer is from the hymn, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. We pray. Lord, do we pass that cross unheeding, breathing no repentant vow? Though we see you wounded, bleeding, see your thorn-encircled brow, yes, yet your sinless death has brought us life eternal, peace and rest. Only what your grace has taught us calms the sinner's deep distress. Jesus, may our hearts be burning with more fervent love for you. May our eyes be ever turning to behold your cross anew, till in glory parted never from the blessed Savior's side, graven in our hearts forever, dwell the cross, the crucified. Amen.